This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 417. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. And a big welcome to any first-time listeners. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, how 5G has become a real alternative to the NBN, the app that can help you stay on top of your bills and also find a better deal. And this week's celebrity tech interview is with Dan Whitford, the frontman for Aussie synth pop band Cut Copy. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the LG Velvet smartphone, the GoCube smart connected Rubik's Cube for the 21st century, and Bose announces new noise-cancelling earphones and sunglasses. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. (music) 5G. It's something we're hearing a lot more about lately as networks are built out. Telstra are well into their build for 5G, as are Optus and now Vodafone. So the footprint for 5G is constantly growing, as are the number of smartphones that are 5G compatible, including the upcoming iPhone. Apple's very first 5G device will be Uh, announced or go on sale at least in the next few weeks and I think that will bring home to customers that 5G is a real thing. I think for a lot of people it ain't official until Apple does something like this. So uh, even though Samsung and Huawei have had 5G devices for nearly a couple of years now, 5G uh, will become even more widespread and awareness of 5G will be even, even wider with the launch of the the new iPhone and all the new devices that we're seeing now, every second device that you see that's mid-tier or higher are now 5G compatible. But there is another 5G use case to be had, and it's not just about connecting us with our mobile devices. It's also as an alternative for home broadband for a lot of customers. Optus were pretty aggressive with their 5G launch now more than a year ago, and their focus wasn't all about mobile, unlike Telstra. Telstra went out pretty hard, wanted to be first, and they were the first, to have a 5G network, 5G devices on their network, including smartphones. There was also a mobile hotspot. So they they went after the mobile customer. Optus took a different approach. Optus decided that 5G at the time wasn't quite ripe for the mobile market. So they decided to target home broadband customers. And they did a great job. Early on, the 5G plans from Optus were only $70 with unlimited data and also 
unlimited speeds. Now, that's the advantage of 5G in the right place, of course, if you've got 5G in your, in your neighbourhood. You can achieve speeds well over what you can expect from the NBN. The NBN's pretty much capped at 100 megabits per second, if you're lucky, for most NBN customers. And for those who can't get the NBN or who have the NBN but have that less favourable technology, which includes still a lot of copper in the, in the whole connection so I'm talking about things like fibre to the node, for example, where the fibre stops at the end of your street and has to come the rest of the way with copper. I've heard from many readers and listeners about their connection and how it is no better, and in some cases worse, than it was before the NBN. So here's, here's an alternative for those customers if they do live in a 5G area, and this is only being offered by Optus at this point as a home broadband solution. So with, with their, this, that initial plan, that is still available, but what they did last week was actually announce two more 5G plans. And the, 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 first, the, the first plan is what they're calling their, their premium everyday plan, which is $75 a month, 5G speeds capped at 100 megabits per second, and that gives you an average evening speed of 85 megabits per second. Now, they told me, that the existing $70 a month plan, which is just a connection, is still available. So for 70 bucks a month, before it's phased out, you can get unlimited speeds and unlimited data, but nothing else. With this new 5G everyday plan, the latest Optus plan, that comes with Optus Sport. So unlimited data, first month's free if you sign up, but you also get access to Optus Sport. So if you're a sports fan, that's a bonus. But then they have their 5G internet entertainer plan, which is priced at $90 a month, and that gives you uncapped speeds on the Optus 5G network and unlimited data. And with that, you also get a Fetch Mighty box. So that's a premium channel pack included, more than 45 channels of premium streamed entertainment and Optus Sport. So for 90 bucks a month, you're getting pretty solid speeds. On average, typical evening speeds on 5G, Optus has observed, is 214 megabits per second. That's more than twice what the NBN can offer. And that's just the typical speeds. I've heard of speeds well in excess of 300 megabits per second at other times of the day and night. So there's that alternative as well. So 90 bucks a month, entertainment plan from Optus. You get the Fetch Mighty, Optus Sport, and uncapped speeds, uncapped data. And the everyday plan, 75 bucks a month, 5G, capped at 100 megabits per second, but you do get Optus Sport as well. But don't forget, there's that Optus $70 a month plan that's still available. I did make a point of asking, is that plan still around? They said for the time being it is. If you get in on it and then you, you'd, you'd like that plan, then they're not going to change it even when these new plans come along. Now, the, your, your internet is delivered through a special modem, of course. It's a 5G modem router. So all it needs, no need for anyone to come in and install it, plug it in, there's a SIM card inside, it'll find the 5G network, create a wireless network in your house, and you're connected. As simple as that. So uh, really, really good to see that 5G is a real alternative for a lot of people now. There are more than 420,000 households 
households in Australia that can access the Optus 5G network. To find out if you're one of them, you can go to the Optus website, optus.com.au, type in your address, it'll tell you whether you are in reach of 5G services and eligible to get a 5G home broadband plan. If you want to read more about that, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Next up, we're talking about an app that can help you stay on top of your bills, but also get you a better deal. Now, we've heard of these comparison sites where you have to make the effort to go to the site, look up what you want to find, whether it's insurance or a better mortgage rate or broadband plan, mobile phone plan, pay TV, all of that. You have to go and find it. But now there's a new app that takes a slightly different approach. It's called Get Reminded. Now, this is an app that can help you, not only you stay on top of your bills, so remind you, okay, your car rego due next week or your car insurance is due in a month, your mobile phone plan payment needs is coming out on Wednesday, uh, your pet insurance is also up for renewal, you're, you've been subscribed to Apple, your, your, your year-long subscription for Apple Music is coming up. So it gives you a heads up when these plans or contracts are due to be renewed but at the same time offers you different the different ads advertised offers that could actually be a better deal than what you what you're getting so that that's just no no going in for this app it's called get reminded free for iPhone and Android users that's how they make their money so it, it is a free app but you are allowing them to send you these reminders, which do come with these special advertising offers. So it's free to customers, but that's how they generate their revenue, through advertising, but also taking a commission when they onboard new customers to these various services and products. So yes, it's big tick, reminds you that your car insurance is coming up. How many times have you thought, oh God, my car insurance is due tomorrow? and doesn't really give you enough time to shop around for a better deal, you just accept the renewal and you could have saved hundreds of dollars uh, if you had a shopped around. Same thing for your mortgage. Like how many times your bank's never going to tell you that there's now a lower interest rate for your mortgage. They just let you cruise in on you whatever you're doing. Even mobile plans. They're not going to tell you Vodafone or Elptus or Telstra, if you're paying 100 bucks a month for 20 gig of data, which you have for the last three years, they're not going to ring you up and remind you, yeah, by the way, you, you can now get double the amount of data you've got now for $30 a month less. So people aren't realizing that these deals are out there. So rather than you having to go to this comparison website, this app, once you've registered all your accounts and, and renewal dates and all of that, will come to you and say, right, your mobile phone bill, it's due next month, but did you know that there's a cheaper one? Or did you know that this bank has... 1% less interest rates? Or did you know that this pet insurance has these other benefits? So it, it is, it's, it's the comparison site coming to you. Uh, this was an app that was founded actually here in Australia uh, by three people who actually met in an Uber, uh, would you believe? So they discussed this idea in an Uber that they shared. And 
since uh, has gone on to become even bigger, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic where people are looking at their services, look where they can save money. And it has since expanded from Australia to New Zealand, the UK, Ireland and Norway. So good job flying the Aussie flag there. But I think the, the whole idea of the app is to help you not only keep, keep on top of all your bills and your expenses, but also where you can to save some money. There is a use case, actually, that they, uh, that they gave a woman, uh, Rachel James, her name is. She's a nurse and a mum of three from, the North, from North Sydney here in New South Wales. And she saved more than $2,000 in a year. And here's how she did it. The first thing she changed was her mobile plan. She was on the $100 a month plan getting hardly any data. Now she's on a $70 a month plan with even more data than she'll ever need. Uh, she's also went, she saved on her monthly Foxtel bill, which went from $147 a month down to $99 a month just by asking and with no change to her current channel package. So she's getting the same for $48 a month less. It even reminded her when her electricity and gas bills were, she had signed a like a 12-month agreement to stay with, the, with those companies. So when it came time for her contract to be renewed, she negotiated a 15% discount on her electricity and gas bills. So it's all up, she's saving more than $2,000 a year. And those savings are there to be had. You just need to look for them. And Get Reminded helps you do that. Now, Get Reminded says it will store your personal information in a a secure database that is never shared with a third party. And they also give a no spam guarantee, which means they will only contact you via email or through in-app notifications only when necessary to bring you your reminders. I don't think you're going to get bombarded with offers every day and spammed uh, to to extinction using this app. That's not the case. Get reminded, it's available now for the App Store for iPhone users and the Google Play Store for Android users. And if you want to read more, check it out at techguide.com.au. This week in our Celebrity Tech interview, and thank you very much for all your feedback. You've, uh, a lot of listeners have responded with uh, our new segment in the show, uh, which is designed to sort of give an insight into the lives of people in the media, sport and entertainment, their relationship with technology. And this week, we are our entertainment, uh, we tick the box for entertainment. We've had Adam Reynolds, who's a sportsman. We've had Deborah Knight, who's also in the media. And now on the entertainment front, we have... Dan Whitford. He's the founding member of Cut Copy, a band he formed back in 2001. He plays vocals, keyboards, and guitar. And he was a former graphic artist. Uh, and also, we talked to him about how even technology inspired the name of the band, Cut Copy copy you think about it and he also talks about the tech used in production of their albums speaking of which they've just launched a new album called freeze melt it's their sixth studio album i'm a fan so it was a a real thrill to be able to talk to dan we talk about his the tech used during all their live shows how he uses social media to engage with fans we even ask him his personal preferences about his earphones and how he likes to listen to his music and lots more and he, he was it was a great chat, and here's what he had to say.
Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me on the Tech Guide podcast. I really appreciate your time and congratulations on the new album. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Now, we're, we're talking about technology and just if we can go back to the beginning, I understand your background is graphic design. Is that right? So you, you, were, you were pretty tech savvy to begin with. Yeah, well, actually, I was probably the the last of, of any sort of graphic designers that, that sort of began at university doing any sort of like, you know, non-computer-based design work. So, so I know sort of halfway through my studies, um, things moved from, I guess, essentially doing a lot of your work using sort of, you know, cut out text and photocopiers to then moving onto a computer. Uh, and that's obviously sort of the way that people sort of operate all the time now. So, so yeah, went from there and operated as a graphic designer, started my own business and, and worked in graphic design for nine years, sort of in parallel to doing music. And then uh, in the last sort of 10 years, I've, I've just been doing uh, music stuff. And even the name of the band, I understand, was from one of your uh, the, the actions you were doing with your graphic design, cut copy, is that right? That's where you got inspired? <laughs> well, I don't know if that was the specific inspiration, but I probably have done a fair bit of cutting and copying uh, outside of the band over the years. That's right. Okay, well, on the on the music front, of course, uh, technology plays a large role, I understand. So not only for you creatively, but also in, when you're doing live shows. So tell, take us through what's involved. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess for me, uh, I'm not a trained musician. So, so really my entry point into making music was, was using technology, you know, because I didn't have the sort of like the learned skills to sort of, you know, you know nail amazing solos or things like that, but using sort of electronics and synthesizers and samplers and that kind of thing, you know, drum machines, I was able to kind of make music and turn that into basically what cut copy is. So, so essentially, um, you know, when I first got into to making music, I, I bought a, a computer and a, and a keyboard and, and, a, and a sampler and basically that was enough for me to just sort of start making my, my own songs. Basically, you know, went from there to, to sort of then, um, you know, signing as a recording artist, starting a band and, and kind of getting out there and performing live. Um, and the technology is definitely a big part of, of kind of what allows us to perform live as well because we can, um, often our music has, has a lot of parts, um, you know, a lot of detail to it. But if it's just the four of us, we can't sort of perform all of that. So having, you know, a computer running sort of different instruments that we can't um, all play at the same time sort of allows us to recreate our songs uh, in a live context. And I'm sure over the years you've seen so many changes and improvements in technology. What, what are the biggest ones you can think of? Well, I guess the biggest one is, is just the, um, the prevalence of computers and, and the ability for laptops to, I guess, become so much more powerful in their capabilities. Uh, when I first started, I think, you know, probably around 20 years ago, it would be now, was basically just when I think computers started started to get to a point where you could almost just make a whole song using a computer. Um, and before that, it was like a computer would be a part of, um, you know, making an electronic track, but you'd still need a lot of outboard gear to make the sound. And I think it's, it's really become a thing where these days often a lot of artists, you know, basically might never even sort of own any sort of musical equipment really apart from their computer and a little MIDI keyboard and they can make whole albums. They can almost, you know, make as many sounds as someone used to make with a, with a really elaborate, you know, multi-million dollar recording studio. So, so it's definitely kind of condensed down a lot of the things that, that were sort of barriers to people recording music and making music sort of 20 years ago to now basically having limitless possibilities just, just at home. I was going to ask that actually, the, the, the whole the, 
today the presence of computers and technology all around us has really opened it up up for new artists to express themselves. How would that have changed things for you back when you were starting? Would you would you have done anything different, or would you, would the path have been the same? I mean, that's hard to say. I think um, I think at the end of the day, you need to sort of have. I guess the, the technology is really important for facilitating ideas and and kind of getting you to to your end goals. But you still need to go in with with inspiration and with a bit of drive and and kind of a bit of purpose. And there are things that technology can't help you with. If you don't have that, then you're sort of never going to make something, you know, interesting. So, so I think there's there's some non-negotiables there, you know, regardless of, of what technology is doing. But it, but it definitely makes things easier and I think also makes things a lot more affordable, which was a sort of a big issue, I guess, with, with bands where, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, artists might be really great musicians, but they, can't af- they couldn't afford to sort of get in the studio to record or, or to record things properly. And so that's just a barrier to you kind of progressing with your music. Whereas now, you know, essentially, you know, if you buy a Mac, you know, a Mac computer or something, it comes with GarageBand. It comes with all these things that, that basically allow you to, to turn the music that you make into a recorded piece. And, and so I guess, you know, obviously there's, there's levels of, of sort of different technology, you know, that might potentially enhance it more or less, but, but essentially, the ability is there. You know, you have a computer; you can kind of actually yeah. record your own music and more or less, you know, have a finished product ready to go. Yeah, it's it's still an artistic and creative process. All the, all the computers in the world won't give, make it a guarantee going to produce a hit album, <laughs> will it? No, no. Well, well, not yet. Anyway, there might be there might be someone working on some AI stuff to, <laughs> to sort of uh, hit in that direction. But just but yeah, on that, though, that, that, that point, yeah. that's an interesting point, though. Like, are we are we heading that way where creatively, like things like that would be would be potentially like a possibility at least? I honestly think so. Yeah, I mean, I. There's already some artists that are that are delving into, I guess, using AI to develop ideas within their music. So, so essentially, leaving some of the the songwriting to a computer to create. I know there's, there's an artist, Holly Herndon, who's yeah quite interested in that in that phenomenon of, of kind of using AI to write music. Um, so, I think her recent album was was largely sort of, or you know, a large part of it was was written using this AI program to write songs. But I definitely can imagine that. I mean, if you look at the, you know, just the way the internet works, the way people's listening habits work, it's all, I guess, governed by an algorithm. And obviously, if that algorithm is sort of telling you a certain type of music is, is doing well, you know, you can imagine then sort of creating some kind of program that uses the algorithm of what people like to then sort of write music that it thinks people might like. You know, whether or not that that will actually kind of work well or, or not, I can definitely... I can definitely imagine that that possibly happening in the not too distant future. Well, trying trying to crack the formula through an algorithm, I think you might be onto something there. Well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it's not very good. That's all <laughs> I can say. Otherwise, it'll put us all out of the job. Absolutely. Just on the your uh, your live shows, and I, I might, I've had the pleasure of uh, being to a couple of your gigs. I'm a fan. Um, the the oh, tech the technology involved. I notice there's like all those lights happening and there's videos playing. So. There is a bit of apart from the actual music going on. There still is is a other fair bit going on technology wise as well. Yeah, that's right. So we we run um, all of sort of extra sounds in our set through a program called Ableton Live, which has sort of been around for maybe fifteen years or so now. But it's sort of become one of the standards for music making and recording and production. But but using that in a live context, you can you can essentially manipulate things to a pretty large degree. You know, you can sort of jam out on, on sections of songs. You can also sort of, yeah, I guess sort of like 
you have like complete control over, over where the music's going. It's not just like the old days where you're sort of lip syncing to a backing track or something. It's, it's very kind of integrated into what the musicians are doing. Um, it's almost like, you know, for us, a fifth band member. But, but additionally, on top of that, it's got the ability to do things like sync with um, video content. So we have um, one of the guys in our band is, a, I guess, in, in his previous life, sort of did a lot of film work and, and created visuals for our our live show uh, on the last album tour. And uh, and basically that's all sort of synced with the music that we're playing in, in real time. And also additionally on top of that, we don't actually do this, but you can you can basically allow this program to communicate with, with a lighting rig at a, at a venue and basically almost run the lights for your whole show, sort of wow. knowing what, what sections are going to be doing different things with different lights and, you know, essentially without um, anyone sort of, you know, lifting a finger, um, it's all sort of synchronized to your show. So there's a lot of um, scope for doing some pretty interesting things with the presentation of what you're doing, even beyond just the music itself. Wow, that's fascinating. Just on the new album too, I'm, I'm enjoying it, by the way. I've been have it, had it on loop for, for a few days now. Uh, you've also released, though, I see, a full visual album as well, I, I noticed. What what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think sort of early on we were conscious that, that this new album was sort of a little bit different to – to the previous uh, albums that we put out, it was sort of less, I guess, sort of straight up dance music and and more kind of contemplative and uh, sort of ambient in parts and some instrumental sections. I think sort of more maybe mood driven rather than traditional songwriting, uh, which we felt sort of lended itself um, to visuals a little bit more and sort of had this idea that it'd be great to to somehow interpret the whole album visually. So we um, we actually got in touch with. Um, with a visual artist, Takeshi Murata, who's actually quite a sort of big name in the in the modern art world, having sort of exhibited at, at MoMA in New York and the Tate Modern in, in London and, and various other places. Just sort of got in touch with him, just saying that we liked his work and sort of wondering if he might be interested in, in working with us. And it turned out he was a big fan of our music, you know, just sort of coincidentally. So we sort of had mutual admiration going on. Uh, and, he, um, and he said, yeah, look, I, I'd love to sort of work on this. I've got some sort of ideas and you know, I'll send it to you, see what you think. We can have a bit of a, a dialogue about it. So, yeah, we sort of went back and forth and just sort of figured out, you know, how we thought this music should be interpreted. And, and he sort of went to work. Uh, obviously, he worked in, you know, 3D rendered kind of visuals and sort of created this this 3D rendered sort of surreal world, I guess, for the music to exist in. Yeah, I, li- I like it. I've, I've watched it a couple of times. Uh, can we talk about uh, social media? You guys use social media very cleverly, I think, uh, promoting the, the, your new music and your, your shows. How, how's your relationship with social media? What are your go-to platforms? Where do you have most support? How, how do you deal with all of that? I mean, it's kind of interesting because I feel like social media, particularly, I guess, for sort of public figures or you know musicians, there's almost become this sort of expectation that, that you're sort of, you know, you're kind of giving a lot of your attention and sort of, you know, giving what you're doing in any given moment to your fans and sort of, you know, keeping them uh, engaged with what's happening, which I guess as a fan myself, I do understand. Like I like sort of finding out what's happening behind the scenes with uh, artists that I like or, or people that I find interesting. But it also turns into, a, you know, almost like a full-time job when, you know, obviously your full-time job should be making music, but you're sort of... Um, you find yourself sort of, you know, having to give up quite a lot of time to this other way of communicating with people. So it's sort of interesting. I think it's obviously like there's there's a bit of give and take there with it, where I think there's obviously real value to connecting with people and 
and I think sort of giving them a bit of interaction with you as well, like you sort of you sort of speaking to them, but they're also kind of giving you feedback directly. But that's sort of outside of the context of the traditional way for us, which would be playing live shows. So, so yeah, it's sort of interesting. You can kind of, um, I guess, you have more control over sort of um, the image you're putting out there, and you can sort of have a bit of consistency to you know how how people are sort of finding out about things. And I think obviously as a graphic designer, I, I kind of like that because because there's sort of a consistency of the messaging and just the look of what's going on. And, and I think that's important with music. Okay. Uh, let, let's talk about you and your tech preferences. Um, I've always been meaning to ask a musician how their music sounds uh, among different brands of headphones. Uh, do they all do a good job sort of representing your music or do they – Some I know some brands pump up the bass and do other things – how, how do you feel about that? Are they are they all doing a good job? Do you have a favourite? How do they sound? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they sound quite different, like significantly different, I I think. And obviously I don't have experience of using every single headphone out there. There's there's lots of different headphones for different purposes. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, one purpose I use them for is for making music, like yeah. often having a, a set of headphones that, that you, you know, trust the, the balance of them is quite important when you're making music. Just, just so that you can kind of hear everything that's there. Um, but then also, I think, just for your own listening pleasure. Like, for instance, you know, I'm just currently talking to you with a pair of um, Apple earpods at the moment. And that's, you know, I listen to a lot of music using those. Okay. And, you know, to be honest, you know, a lot of people would be the same. You know, I think, I think for me, probably as far as headphones that I really like the sound of, I've got like a bunch of different V-Motor headphones, which is sort of great, like a sort of pleasurable, you know, over-the-ear headphone for listening. Yeah. Also, um, also, there's a Swedish company called III, like AI, 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 okay. which is, um, I think it's the TLA2 headphones, which is sort of my go-to studio headphones and also for DJing. They're just fantastic, like just so clear and crisp, but also sort of a nice sort of bass frequency response as well and a real clarity down there. So, okay. so they're probably my favorite headphones. But having said all that, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm listening with, with earpods on at the moment and that's yeah. probably like, a good eighty percent of the music I listen to would be with just just standard earpods in, and and I think um, so. So, however you're sort of working with making your music, at the end of the day, you've got to listen to it the way that other people are, and and that's you know like this, or, or maybe sure. on your car stereo. You know, you sort of you can't just be a total snob about it. I want to go back though uh, to two thousand and eight when uh, I'll go say one of my favourite tracks uh, from you guys is "Hearts on Fire," and also one of my favourite video clips. That is a really <laughs> great clip. With you, you've just had a breakup. It's raining on you, sort of. You're in, you're down in the dumps, and the rain constantly on your head. Oh, how, how, where did you film that, and how hard would that have been to have the rain on you all the time? Well, I mean, that yeah, that was uh, that was a difficult video to shoot. It was actually, um, it was actually shot in in Tokyo, so with a, a director who was based over there. Yeah, uh, and basically, um, we'd be on a, an Australian tour, I think, with a sort of musical music festival sort of here in Australia and I had to fly straight out after the last show, I think it was in Perth, to get to Japan to to do this this video. So basically like it was sort of at the end of my tether a little bit already. <laughs> then sort of flew overnight, you know, rocked up in Japan, you know, not knowing sort of what day it was. And then diving straight into this music video shoot that was basically started at five in the morning and I think sort of ended at five the next morning. It was just like wow. Just like a crazy day of shooting, and obviously, as you can see in the video, it was basically me getting, you know, someone following me around with a kind of um, rigged up shower head thing, yeah. you know, raining on me 
sort of in every single shot. And we obviously did multiple takes of, of all the different scenes. Yeah. So it was a very long day of kind of getting getting wet and dried off and then wet again. Um, I particularly you know, like it. Know, I, I can laugh, but at uh, the time I was getting a bit grumpy, I think. I bet, mate. I, I like I the couple of scenes where you actually were using a towel to wipe your face and you had a napkin as well, <laughs> even though you're getting wet. That was fantastic. Let's talk about you, though, your own personal tech preferences. Uh, quick, some quick questions for you. Are you an iPhone or Android user? iPhone. And on the computer, I think I know the answer to this, are you Mac or Windows? Yeah, no, I'm Mac. And on, uh, are you a gamer? Do you like playing games? Are you a PlayStation, Xbox? Do you play games at all? I was a gamer through my teens. And I think, to be perfectly honest, uh, the part of my headspace that I use for playing games sort of at some point in my life turned into making music. Okay. So I think if I got back into games, uh, it might be bad for, for <laughs> copy fans out there. Okay. Well, no, don't play games then. That's great. Uh, and then what about what about you personally? Have you got any like smart devices at home? Are you, do you can you control stuff with your phone? Are you into the sort of IoT Internet of Things world? Uh, not so much, to be perfectly honest. I'm sort of I wouldn't say I'm old school because obviously I've got a lot of different technology going on, but I don't have a fully integrated you know home theater setup or something like that. Uh, I think partly because I'm. I'm actually quite into sort of um, vintage sort of analog technology. So a lot of the equipment I use for listening to music, for instance, or even sort of playing sounds out of the TV are old kind of, um, you know, vintage speakers from the, the 70s or, or things that have a certain sound of them that I quite like. So so I guess for me, um, I think I think a lot of my setup is consciously unintegrated. Um, not to say that I don't like the ease of it, but that's just sort of, you know, my personal preference. Okay. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Uh, Congratulations again on the new album and best of luck for Cut Copy in the future. My pleasure. Thanks so much. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, with your work, gaming, video calling and more? And what what happens if you're doing all of that at once? Well, when you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Okay, first up on the review front, we are look talking at phone, smartphone, and in particular, the LG Velvet. Now, you know one thing I've always said about LG phones? I've always said they're an underrated smartphone brand. The LG Velvet is a fantastic smartphone. It's it's under $1,000, so it gives you a lot of bang for your buck. So they've, they've, they've always, in my opinion, had really competitive, attractive devices. The only thing holding them back in the past was they were priced at the same price as the new iPhone, the Samsung flagship device, and customers just didn't respond. They, they were, if they had the choice of Apple or Samsung or LG, nearly everybody went in favor of Apple or Samsung. They just couldn't compete at that level, despite the fact that their phones could pound for pound match the latest iPhone, the 
the latest Samsung device and they just didn't have success, big success, major success with those earlier models. Well, they've decided, and I'm in favour of this move, to price the phone a little more competitively. And I've said this in my reviews in the past. Maybe they read my review, one of many that was probably suggesting this move. The LG Velvet is now priced at $899, well under a thousand bucks. So it puts it in that mid to upper mid tier level, which is when you think about it, the the meat of the the heart of the smartphone market. Not everyone could afford two thousand fifteen hundred dollars for a smartphone, but that that price point eight ninety nine definitely puts it in that ballpark where it's going to attract a lot more customers. And I've got to say, this is a really really nice phone. And it's got all the premium features you'd expect, design, great-looking screen, great camera. It looks like a flagship product. It's got these beautiful curved edges. It's got a 6.8-inch OLED display, curved edges on the back panel, so it feels really good in your hand. 5G compatible as well. It's 5G. We were talking about that earlier, how 5G, it's popping up everywhere now. And so you can stay connected even faster with your content if you are in range of 5G cellular coverage, if your telco has a decent 5G footprint. It's powered by the Qualcomm SM7250G octa-core 2.4 gigahertz processor. In other words, it's fast. And that that's matching the power of those flagship devices. It's got 6 gig of RAM and running the latest Android 10 operating system. Uh, it also has a minimal user interface, so, so it's a pretty uncluttered experience you're going to get there. There's 128 gig of onboard storage, but it does have expandable memory with a micro SD card slot. So the standout for my for my money is the full vision OLED display. Now LG, they know a thing about OLEDs, and they've brought that technology down to the 6.8 inch screen that you can find on the LG Velvet. Just on the name, by the way, LG have decided to move away from model numbers and and letters, and decided to give the phone a bit more of a persona, a bit more of a, of a identity by calling it a name rather than a number. I agree with that. LG Velvet kind of rolls off the tongue, a bit easier to remember than a than a series of letters and numbers. So good on LG for making that effort there. It has a very high screen to body ratio. And what by that I mean uh, the screen takes up nearly the entire front face of the device, very small notch on top for the front facing camera. The display has a longer and narrower aspect ratio. It's 20.5 by 9 aspect ratio. So uh, means that despite having this larger screen, still easy to hold and navigate with one hand. Uh, on the back is the camera system and a, a really nice glossy design. Uh, and it's it, this is a device that just, just looking at it, it looks nice, got a really nice screen, but there is a lot of intelligence and a lot of features under the hood that are worth mentioning as well. And the LG Velvet has a lot of those features built in, a lot of intelligence. Uh, for example, when you're shooting a video, there's a feature called voice bokeh, which means it can focus in on the person's voice that's talking. So if you're filming someone talking in a loud environment, it'll focus in on their voice and and just sort of turn down the other, the other noise in the background. Now, there is another feature on board here called ASMR. And that's Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. 
So you're able to record with ASMR in mind. And what, what this does, right, this is a thing. ASMR is a sound that people find soothing. So you can record a sound like a crackling fire, a crinkling paper, a whisper, uh, all these other little sounds, subtle sounds, you can record in quite high detail and play back for yourself. That is, in the world of AMSR, that is a thing. It's based around these creating recordings that people find soothing, satisfying, and stimulating. So if you like that, if you do like those sounds, and there are there are a lot of YouTube videos that people play with those sorts of sounds. It might be the sound of dripping water or rain, rain or waterfalls or crashing waves. That is a thing, and this phone allows you to indulge in that if you want to. You can record your own sounds that, that you like to hear back. On the camera side, the LG Velvet has a 48-megapixel main camera, an 8-megapixel ultra-wide camera, and a 5-megapixel time-of-flight camera, which helps get the, that fast focus. Images look great, really sharp and detailed. Uh, the downside, though, struggled in low-light situations. It wasn't nowhere near as good as those other flagship devices in for low-light that just really sucked in every bit of light and made it look like you, the lights were on in a dark room. Uh, so only weakness of the camera there. Otherwise, in well-lit environments, this camera is going to perform very well. The front-facing camera, 16 megapixel, but the front-facing camera can also capture 4K video as well. So uh, your social media requirements and quality uh, are, are certainly met here. You're well looked after with those features if you are wanting to record in that kind of quality. You can also record uh, or create 3D AR selfies. So you can create these little videos where if you draw a shape on your head and you move your head, it'll stick to your head. Uh, Samsung had a similar feature a couple of years ago. Uh, that's also on board here. Uh, there is also, you can, of course, from the back camera, capture 4K video from both the front and rear cameras. The device also has an in-screen fingerprint reader. But I've got to say, one of the only downsides, this fingerprint reader was slow. It, it just was very slow to respond. I had to press and hold it for like a second and a half for it to, for it to wake up. Other others, other in-screen fingerprint readers just were instant reaction, opened, unlocked. Uh, the LG needed a few goes to to open sometimes. It took a few attempts uh, and had to press and hold it for more than a second to unlock it. Uh, and other devices just in an instant, they were unlocked. Uh, it, it does have an IP68 rating, so it's water and dust resistant. So that's good to know. There's also a headphone jack. So if you're still rocking a headphone, pair of headphones or earphones with a cable, then you're going to be well looked after. The onboard battery, 4,300 milliamp hours, which is, we use it as our daily driver, was easily, easily got us through the day and into the next. Lasted us till morning tea the next day, if you like. So uh, no, no worry there. There is the option, of course, of wireless charging. You can grab those little recharges during the day with a, at your desk on a charging mat in your car or fully recharge wirelessly overnight. The LG Velvet, I rate it. It's not a bad device for the price because it does have those flagship features you find on phones that are some, you know, twice as much as this device. This is $899. I think an excellent smartphone that can compete with those flagship devices for features, design, and quality, but at that lower price. And if you want to read our complete review, you can do that. Check it out at techguide.com.au.
Alrighty, next up, we're talking about a product that's called the Go Cube. Now, here's this is a product that I saw online. I think I saw a Facebook ad for it, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And this is coming from a guy who has been a fan of the Cube since the 80s. I was in high school when the original Cube came out. I think I got mine in 1981, and it was everywhere. And I think people who people my age will remember this time because everyone was into this puzzle. Everywhere you looked, it was there. People were trying to solve it. They were trying to uh, trying to complete it, trying to complete one side, trying to complete two sides. And I really got into this so much so that I even bought a book. The book I bought was called Mastering Rubik's Cube by Sydney University of Sydney maths lecturer Don Taylor. I reckon he he got pretty rich off this book. It was a bestseller. A lot of people bought it, including me. And I even, I remembered all these routines and even used it, would you believe, right? I was a bit of an entrepreneur back in the day. At school, I was in high school, so at lunchtime, all my all, a lot of my friends wanted to get their cube solved. And I would say, okay, I, I said, look, line up, 20 cents, 20 cents ago, I'll, I'll solve your cube for you. It took, would take me like a minute, not even that, to solve everyone's cube. And every lunchtime, mate, Oh, there'd be 10, 12 people. So that's like two bucks, two bucks 40 every day. Wasn't a bad little, wasn't a bad little trade. And I solved their cubes for them. Now, fast forward to 2020 and the Go Cube has taken advantage of the, of the technology age, the smartphone and the app and has come, it, it, it has Bluetooth connectivity, has its own companion app. So when it's paired to the app, it recognizes the state of the cube. So if you move the cube in your hands, you'll see it moving on the screen. If you turn one of the sides, it'll turn as well. It'll know the location of every corner, every edge, every single square on that cube. So it's ideal if you're a, if you're a newbie, if you're new to the cube, you might want to buy it for your child or want to get them to learn. And you might be a veteran. You might be someone who wants to improve your cubing because you got to remember back when the cube first came out, it was a novelty. It was a toy. And over the years, it turned into a sport. So if you've, uh, if you've seen speed cubing is now a thing where the Aussie, the, the, the world record holder is an Aussie named Felix Zemdegs. Uh, I think his time was 4.22 seconds, just something ridiculous like that. But speed cubing is a thing. In fact, I highly recommend you watching on Netflix a show called The Speed Cubers starring Felix Semdex and the latest world record holder, Max Park. Definite worth, definitely worth a view. Forty minutes long. You watch it in 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 note in forty minutes. You watch it. So definitely worth looking at. It is a remarkable, remarkable documentary, which gives you an insight into this world. There's just so many fans of the Cube. There are even speed cubes you can buy. But GoCube really puts the power in your hands to be able to solve the Cube. What I like about it, it teaches you a much faster way of solving the Cube. So it's like the speed cube method. The method I learned with Don Taylor's book, uh, The Mastering Rubik's Cube, which I bought in 1981, it was more a lengthier, a lot of lengthier routines, specific routines for specific things like flipping edges, swapping edges, rotating corners. Whereas the Go Cube uses a lot of moves that are more like a lot of a less less moves that are more versatile. So there's a left hand move, there's a right hand move, there's other moves as well that are involved that allow you to repetitively 
make these moves a lot faster, but also get to that end result a lot quicker as well. So that's one thing I've really found refreshing is learning, is relearning a new way of solving the cube. And if you made a mistake, that's the beauty of this app. It takes you step by step through its academy. So you can go, if you've never picked up a cube in your life, this will step you through, including teaching you the notation, like what F and U and D and all that means, front, up, down, left, right. It teaches you the notation. So it says R1, U, R2. So that's clock, uh, uh, anti-clockwise right, upper, up, upper face clockwise, rotate R twice. So it does teach you those things, which are really easy to pick up. Uh, but also then steps you through each stage. And if you do make a mistake, it says, whoops, go back, do this, do this, to get back to the state you were. And it, it teaches you and tells you exactly where you need to be, how the cube has to be facing. There were a, time, a couple of times we had to resync the cube. It went out of sync. So the orientation of what you see on the screen and what's in your hand weren't quite matching. So in other words, the red face that was in the front, the yellow face was on the on the right, green face on the bottom. It, it I had to twist it a certain way for it to look that way on the screen. So I had to do a resync. So what I held in my hand was exactly what it looked like on the screen. Uh, and you can use this, of course, with an app on your phone, on your tablet, Android, iOS, whatever. Uh, it is a really, really enjoyable way of engaging with the Cube. And when you get good at it, there is a whole community on board that you can compete against. You can w get, compete against other Cubers around the world within the GoCube app as well. So if you fancy yourself as a Cuber, uh, you, you know how to solve it. You can do it pretty quick then there is a leaderboard on this that you can try to get on because uh, it does have that community and you can go head to head with someone from the other side of the world. The GoCube, I bought this, by the way. This wasn't said to me. I bought this. This is $80 US dollars, so $79.95 US dollars plus shipping. So all up's probably going to cost you about $130 to get it to your door. You can go directly to the website, getgocube.com. There's a link on Tech Guide, or I got mine through Amazon, so it works out the same price. It only took a few days to get here as well. The Go Cube, go and get the Cube. This is the Cube for the 21st century. You too can be a Cube nerd like me. Uh, check it out if you want to read our full review. It's at techguide.com.au. Now, Bose is a name that we know in the audio world. They're very well-respected and premium audio brand. They've just announced some new uh, earphones and an update to their frames, which are their sunglasses. Uh, first up, they've got the new Bose Quiet Comfort noise-canceling earbuds. So this is a product that has the Quiet Comfort technology and packed into a wireless earbud. So... Bose has a 20-year legacy about noise cancellation. They're, they offer some, probably the best noise cancellation, arguably, that you can get from earphones. I think Sony fans might think otherwise, but these are still pretty slick nonetheless. They take that technology and put it in a tiny earbud. Now, the Quiet Comfort earbuds, they're going to be $399.95. There will be 11 levels of noise control, so you know you can adjust how much of the outside you really want to let in. 18 hours of listening time between the six hours in the earphones themselves and an additional 12 hours from the charging case. Uh, 
the Bose Sport earbuds. They're $299.95, so no noise cancelling there. They have a new acoustic system, so really high driver efficiency, proprietary port design, beautiful, clean and powerful performance. Uh, they're called sports for a reason, though. They're made for exercise. They've got a secure fit. They do have an IPX4 rating, and yes, the Bose QC, the Quiet Comfort earbuds, also have an IPX4 rating, so you can sweat uh, sweat it out in the gym with those as well. Uh, the Bose Sport earbuds have a five-hour battery life and a further ten hours from the charging case. That's fifteen hours all up. Uh, and then moving along to the Bose frames. Now these have been around for a couple of years, and these are sunglasses that are also earphones. So you wear them, nothing in your ear, and you can hear your music, hear your phone calls. Uh, really easy. I, I had these. We're reviewing these. Had a phone call. I was talking to the person on the phone, just wearing my sunnies. Nothing in my ears. People thought I was a bit nuts, thinking, "Well, this bloke's lost it. He's talking to himself." But no, I was talking to someone on the phone through the Bose frames. Now the Bose frames are now available in three different styles, new styles. These these are three hundred and ninety nine ninety five. By the way, there's the Tempo, Soprano, and Tenor. So these are sunglasses, 99% block of UV rays, uh, also offering impressive audio quality, which are directed into your ears from the 16mm Bose systems in each of the arms of the sunglasses. So when you wear them, the speaker's positioned right above your ear and is directed into your ear so that you can hear your music or your podcast, whatever you're listening to. Uh, weighs less than 50 grams, so they look good, protect your eyes from the sun, but also sound good at the same time. The Tempo has a sportier style. The Tenor has a smaller, squarer style. And Soprano has, offers that sort of more subtle cat-eye design but all have the same audio package on board, so they all sound as good as each other. Uh, these devices are all going to go on sale in the coming weeks. I think it's going to be early October before we see these in store. But if you want to check them all out, see some pictures and, and check out those prices again, you know where to find it at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, there's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams, and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, the Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock. This helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and a secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam, and much more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our friends at Belkin. Uh, if you're after a cable, a charger, a battery, uh, all of your needs, go to belkin.com forward slash au. Now, I had an interesting question from a reader asking they have some content on a USB stick that they need to watch on their TV. Problem is, the TV doesn't have a USB drive. 
what do they do? There's a couple of solutions here. My suggestion was to, if they had a DVD or Blu-ray player, a recent DVD or Blu-ray player, to look on the back of the Blu-ray player because often there is a USB port to be able to play your content through the player. So it's not just discs it can support. If they've bought the player in the last four to five years, there will be a USB port either on the back, somewhere on the front just for ease of access, so you can plug that in. It'll come up on the on that on that source. So rather than it looking at the disc for content, it'll look at a U. It'll recognise the USB and allow you to play that. So there is there would be a way you could maybe try. Uh, not there's not many HDMI to USB converters because first of all you need a female USB plug and a male HDMI cable. I haven't seen them anywhere. There may be a way for you to try to get a, a dongle, like a, an adapter, but normally those dongles connect to a USB-C or a USB 3.0 port, not HDMI. So that's your best bet. Or get someone to look up this content on, on their computer and drag it onto a disc or share it to the cloud because if there is a connected DVD or Blu-ray player, often they have Wi-Fi on board. Uh, the other alternative is to get that content onto their smartphone and cast it to the TV or mirror the phone so they can watch that content on their TV. So plenty of ways to do it, but uh, my bet is they would definitely have a DVD player or a Blu-ray player. Check on the back. There's probably a USB port waiting for them to play that content. That is our show for this week. Boy, that went quick. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Info at techguide.com.au is the email address, or click on the Ask Stephen icon. That'll open up a window for you to send me an email. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. The Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the way to go. And also Norton with now Dark Web Monitoring. They're the company that can keep you, your family, safe and private online. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.